This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. Psalm 75, it is a Thanksgiving. It is written by Asaph and it just lays out several great theological points. Oftentimes in the book of Psalms, you just come across excellent theological understandings that are just, they just seem common to the verses that you're reading as if the psalmist just, that's just the way it is and the way we know it. And sometimes I I think that Christians, uh, engage their heart a lot when they're dealing with Christianity and fail to engage their mind uh, a lot. Oftentimes, oftentimes we don't tie things together in a way because we allow our passions. And remember, there's nothing wrong with our passions. God loves our passion. He loves our emotions. But we, we let them override the common sense and the wisdom that's just clear in scripture and we don't think of them cognitively in such a way that it's just a logical progression and understanding them. One of the things that I, I always, people just, people get so bent out of shape and, and not bent out of shape, but they just can't, they don't tie it together. The, the, God, the sovereignty of God, God is sovereign. He created the universe. He's in charge of the universe. He's over the universe in every possible way. And then God is all knowing and all powerful. And if I said that to a Christian, any Christian, if I said that to any Christian, 99% of them would say, that's right. Amen. No doubt about it. He is sovereign. He is all powerful and he is omnipotent. He knows everything. And they'd say, that's exactly right. And then you say, God planned it all out. God's got a plan for your life. And that's 100%. And then you say, God chooses whom he will and will not. And then they get shook, shook up like, well, I don't know about that. You just said he's sovereign, omnipotent, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, but he he doesn't decide. And then you said he's got a plan for your life, a plan that he has put in place since the foundation of the universe. Yeah. And then you go, God gets to choose. And the logical progression is, absolutely. If all those other things, if A, B, C, and D are true, then E has to be true. E can't not be true. And we want our own choice. And the truth is that I praise God that he chose me and I praise God that he decided to choose me and not give me the choice. And I I praise God that he chose me first. And you go, what do you mean by that? Because if he left it up to me, I'm afraid I'd have messed it up. I'm just pretty afraid I would have. And so if you just emotional, on emotional answer level, if you said, Chad, who do you want choosing? Uh, for you, God or you, I choose God every time in every situation. And if it's, if I'm going to be in a situation, I would rather God's choice every time, every moment. I, I just choose him. And uh, because I'm going to say that he knows more than I do about it. I, I, I'm stepping out there on that theological limb out there that God knows more about the situation than I do. 
And I know that's a long limb to get out there on. You might even fall off of it. You gotta grab hold to it because it's way out there on a limb. But God knows more about the situation than I do, so I choose him to choose. And I think that's I think that's the logical progression of the great theology that's in Scripture. Asaph says, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks. Enters gates with thanksgiving and enters courts with praise. I think every worship service ought to be started off with a powerful, upbeat praise and worship song. I think that every service ought to start with that unless you're unless it's a funeral service, and I'm not sure, and if they're going to heaven, I think you ought to start the funeral service with Why? Because the Bible says, enters gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So we give thanks to God. You ought, no matter the circumstance of life, no matter the situation that you're dealing with, it, no matter, it doesn't, it doesn't matter not one bit what it is. You ought to give thanks to God because he is involved in your, without him, there'd be no hope. And so with him, there's every bit of hope. And we ought to give thanks even in the roughest situations. He says, for your wondrous works declare that your name is, which means you say, well, declare that his name is near. Name always represents character, okay? Name, the names of God represent the aspects of his character and nature. That's why he's got so many names in the Bible is because uh, he has so many ways of showing you different aspects and character. This, he's easy for me to say different aspects and nature of his character. And for your wondrous works, his works out there declare the aspects of his name and nature. You can look at this and see that God is this. God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of, uh, God uh, cares for those who are least and poorest. God is a God of wonder and majesty. God is, you just look around and as you look at the nature around you, look at the creation, you can see the wonder of his character and nature. He says, when I choose the proper time, I will judge uprightly. We don't talk about this enough as Christians because it is so difficult for us to do. Patience is such a difficult thing. And let me tell you something. As I get older, I'm getting better at it. I'm getting way better at it. I can be patient way better than I used to. And the younger you are, the less patient you are. And that's just true because you're wanting to attack life with the full vigor of your... And when I say that young people are impatient, that's not a negative slight on them a bit. That's just the way we are. We, I can remember I have not been patient most of my life, and I'm, I'm 48, in the middle of my 49th year, living on this earth, and boy, probably the first 35, 40 of those years, no patience, none at all. And now that I have a little, I realize how little I had before. And patience is such uh, such an important uh, thing, and especially important for waiting on God and seeing what he's doing. So many times we feel like we gotta be proactive, I don't need to be proactive if God's not being active at all. Now, that's a, a, yes, an important principle. If God's not moving, if God's not doing anything, why should I be doing anything? I don't have, to, my movements have so very little to do with the outcome, and God's movements have so much to do with the outcome that my movement in the midst of him not moving is irrelevant. So why am I moving? I, I had no need to. I have to wait on God. And he, this is what he, he, God says. When I choose the proper time, I will judge uprightly. What he's saying is when I decide and make my judgment and implement my plan, I do it 
right. You just supposed to be coming along for the ride. No use in, in jumping up, no use in, in, in doing anything. I, I can think of so many situations in my life where someone older was trying to allow me to be patient, hold me back, hold me and say, wait on God for this. And I just didn't do it. And God wasn't moving and I was moving. And it was just basically, I was out in a paddle boat, uh, paddling with no paddle, just my hands and not moving anywhere because I put myself out there in the middle of nothing and not allowed God to open the right and correct door. Uh, God will open his door in due time. He judges rightly. See, these are just natural ideas. These are just, these are the just ground floor fundamental understandings of God. God is a God who does, who moves when his will, when it's his time and his will, and we should wait upon him to do that. That's true for every Christian in every situation. Learning to do that is very difficult. Learning to do that takes a lot of time and a lot of, well, experience. It does. And and if I run across some uh, young person who's just super impatient and want to do it, I want to grab hold of them and say, just wait. But the truth is they got to learn it too. Dive on out there with your paddle boat and paddle nowhere. You'll learn your lesson and you'll grow from it. Patience is a character of God and it just takes time to learn how to be like your God. And he, he teaches you over time in that. The earth and all its inhabitants are dissolved. I set up its pillars firmly. <clears throat> this goes back to that whole idea that God is in control. He says, I set up the pillars, meaning the foundations, the fundamentals of all of creation. He says, the earth and all its inhabitants are dissolved, meaning the earth and everything in it does not sustain it. And the inhabitants of the earth and the people of the earth, they don't, they don't sustain them, themselves. We do not sustain ourselves. And that is a very important principle. We do not sustain ourselves. We don't, we don't do it. We don't sustain ourselves. God sustains everything and holds everything together with his mighty right hand. And in principle, we like that. But in practice, do you actually carry that out? In principle, you like God to be in control, except for in everything else when you really want to be in control. And, and it's true. It's true. That's the way we are. I want God to be in control, but then give me back that control. I go to the altar and say, God, I'm laying this at the altar. I'm going to give this to you. And Lord, I'm going to let you take it and take control of it. And then we get up to head back. We turn around and grab it from the altar and say, no, I'll handle it myself. And we'll go back to our seat. And we've really done nothing. We've not allowed God to do anything. He said, the earth and all its inhabitants are dissolved. I set up its pillars firmly. I said to the boastful, do not deal boastfully. He says to the people who boast about who they are and what they can do and what they accomplish, he says, don't boast about it. Don't boast about it. I'm going to tell a little secret about myself yesterday. I got home. Kathleen was home. She went, She had some work to do. It was around 4.30, 4.45, and I did something that I probably shouldn't have done. I snuck out and played golf. I, I, did, I, did, I shouldn't have done I know I shouldn't. I did. That's what I did. And I was by myself, which always means that I'm going to play really great because nobody sees it. And I played great. I shot a 39 on the front nine. I had two birdies. Had one double, but other than that, I was rocking it, rocking it. I was playing really good, and I mean, I was feeling real good. And then Jason, I could called Jason to see if he wanted to play and real quick, and he he met me on the back nine. And let me tell you something. I talked about how good I played. I had played some more good golf, and then I didn't play so good. 
Well, uh, it's like I just couldn't do what I was doing on the front line. And I probably should have told Jason I played Ike. I should have boasted. Because, now, did I hit some really good shots on the back? Sure. But, man, I didn't play like I played on the front. And just sometimes boasting just doesn't do anything. And, by the way, you're boasting in yourself, and you didn't accomplish anything in it. Anyway, you were the one out there in the, in the boat paddling with your hands, doing, and God's the one who's been doing everything. So boasting leaves you with nothing. He says, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horn, meaning he says to the boastful, don't boast. He says to the wicked, don't lift up your horn. What does horn mean, pastor? A horn means this. A horn is, horn is the pie, is your own power. Anytime you read the word horn in, Bible, in the Bible, you think of power. It can be physical power. It can be spiritual power. It can be economic power. It can be political power. It can be, it can be royal power. Anytime you read the word horn in the Bible, it represents power. Okay, it's the word for power. You could just almost put up, put the word power in there and translate it power. He says, do to the wicked, do not lift up your power. And the reason God's saying to the wicked, don't lift up your power, because he'll cut it down quick. He ain't letting the wicked grow up powerful in front of him. He said, do not lift up your horn on high. Do not speak with a stiff neck. What he's telling them is, if you're going to be rebellious, stiff neck, always rebellion. Stiff neck, rebellion. If you read the word stiff neck in the Bible, always think the word rebellion. Stiff neck, rebellion. When he says you stiff neck people, he's talking about being, being rebellious. Hard hearted is rebellion too. But stiff neck is always rebellion. Do not lift up your horn on high. Don't tell, don't, don't, don't talk about how powerful you are. He says, do not speak with a stiff neck. He says, don't speak rebellious words. And what God's doing is warning. He says, you cannot be on my side. You cannot be my people. You cannot be, but don't be boastful and don't be too arrogant. Don't be too proud because I will cut it off. And God does. He does do that. Uh, he says, for exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. God is the one that promotes us. That's what that verse means. It says to exalt yourself, to promote yourself, to lift yourself up. Exaltation does not come from any direction around you. It does not come from uh, the earthly plane. It does not come from this physical world, east, west, north, south. It doesn't come from those directions. It comes from God himself, and he's the one that judges. And so if your desire is to be exalted, you're just like Satan wanted to be exalted above God. If your desire is to be exalted, if your desire is to be, then I'm going to just say that those are ungodly desires. Trust me, God is going to exalt and honor you, and God's going to promote you. God, but you got to let God do it. Let God promote you. Let God put you in the right position. Don't promote yourself. Don't, don't try to. Let God do it. He's good at it. And he does it right at the right time when it's the most special and the most, he, he picks the right parties to have. I'm telling you, God is a God who picks the right parties to have. And he picks the parties right when you need them, at the right time. He picks the right promotion spot for you, and he puts you nestled right in the right place to be. And and in my life, I found that when I promoted myself, it didn't work so well. When God promoted me, boy, it was always beautiful and wonderful. And so don't do that. It's just some common ideas. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exhausts another. See, God decides. Did, did, did I mention earlier that God decides that, and the reason he gets to decide is because he's sovereign, 
He's all-powerful and all-knowing, and he gets to decide. As a Christian, sometimes we don't want him to decide. We don't want to decide. That's not stopping Just saying. It is. He says, for in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup, and the wine is red. That's not good for you teetotalers out there. That's not grape juice, by the way. In no way could you ever translate that word grape juice. In fact, in the Old Testament, they didn't know what grape juice was. Uh, wine represents the goodness of God. It does. It represents the goodness of God. Oil represents the power of God, the resonant power of God. Water represents the the uh, washing or the cleansing power of God. So we've got the cleansing power of God and water. We've got wine being the goodness of God, uh, the, uh, the goodness of his power at work in the world. And then obviously oil is the all-consuming power of God acting on his creation. He says, for in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup and the wine is red. It is full, fully mixed and he pours it out. It's a mixed drink he, and he pours it out. Surely it's drag shall all the wicked, uh, surely it's drag shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. And, and what he's saying is, he's saying is, listen, everybody, gets to drink of God's goodness. Even the wicked gets to drink of his goodness. We get that this is the idea of common grace. Is we get to experience the goodness of God while on this earth, and it, it happens for the high and the very poor and least. It happens for the uh, super smart and those who are limited in their intelligence. It happens for the beautiful and the not so good looking. And it happens for the wicked and it ha happens for the godly. Why? Because God's goodness is all around us because his nature is available to us. And the goodness of God is poured out to everybody. Everybody gets to, gets to experience it. So when you're experiencing the goodness of God, don't act like it's because you did anything. Because even the wicked get to experience the goodness of God. It's not because of you, it's because of him. He says, but I will declare forever, I will sing praises to you, the God of Jacob. What he said, he says, I need to continually be in a state of praise for God. I need to continually be in a state of understanding, placing those fundamental ideas and understandings into practice in everything I do. You say, well, what are those fundamental ideas and principles? The fundamental principles are that God's sovereign. God created everything. God has a plan for the universe. He's working that plan out in your life and in the whole creation that he made. That plan involves grace and mercy, but it also involves for those who are not his, uh, uh, wrath and judgment for sin. And ultimately, he's going to bring it all to completion with the second coming of Jesus Christ and his millennial reign. And then he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to rule and reign with him forever. Those are the principles. And then you say, well, you didn't even talk about Jesus. Well, see, Jesus is the force that is driving all those principles. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is the one who formed the heavens and the earth when the Father uh, spoke them into existence. He was the physical manifestation of God forming all those things. And then uh, all that plan of God's grace and mercy all that plan of his power and might overcoming death and sin, all that is embodied in this one man who is also 100% God, Jesus himself, and he is the embodiment of all that stuff, and he carries it on to the end, and ultimately he's going to be the one because he has the name above every name, 
because he humbled himself and became a man and even humbled himself uh, as a servant unto death on the cross. And God has given him the name above every name. And so Jesus is in the, the, all those fundamental principles that I talked about just a minute ago. Jesus is the driving force. He is the physical manifestation of the principles and nature of God in the universe. And he is the answer. Well, that's some good stuff, ain't it? I, I like it. Personally, I like it. All the horns of the wicked I will also cut off. That's kind of verse 10 is just a straight, straight forward. He's saying, if you lift yourself up, I'm cutting it off because I will be glorified and you will be my children or not and not. He says, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. Now notice the righteousness is not by works. It's by what? Faith. Righteousness is by faith. And so the horn of the righteous, meaning the power of the righteous is lifted up. And the reason it's lifted up is because God is pleased in our faith. In fact, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God is pleased by our faith. He's pleased by it. And without it, there's nothing. So I would just say to you today, as we finish Psalm 75, a relatively just a medium-sized psalm, that there's some really good fundamental principles there to learn. I hope that something I said today would ignite uh, the Holy Spirit teaching you something. Because remember, I do not teach anything. I just relay God's word. That's my job. I'm a, I, I'm a herald of his word. And I'm to be out there teaching and, 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 and preaching and, and sharing this word, not myself, but this word. And then God speaks by his Holy Spirit through his word. I don't, you say, well, why did he use you? I don't know. God chose that. It's his plan. He said, I chose the foolishness of preaching unto salvation. And remember, salvation is the process of becoming God. It's very foolish to think I could sit here and, and relate to you the wonders of God. It is. The Bible says it's foolishness. And yet he's chosen it. Why? Because he chooses people to be a part of his will and his plan because he loves us and he wants us to be with him as he does his work in the world. And so he chose, chooses us to help to be a part of it. And so we're excited about that. And I'm very excited I get to do As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.